This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2017, held at Faith Builders on August 1 through 4. The theory uh, that we spoke of, and then how, how can we move ahead personally? Big question here in the backdrop was who says so? And uh, the big question for you now as we go forward is, well, who says so in the classroom? Who's in charge? Who's actually calling the shots? So uh, we move from some of that question to partnering with community authority yesterday. Spent a fair amount of time there uh, talking about some of the legal structures. And uh, again, just want to encourage you to see the panorama of issues that, not, not only issues, but people and circumstances and organizations and your own persona and all of that to come together to actually create what we call authority uh, that a child experiences. So think about it from his standpoint. There's Sam or Sally or Jill or whoever, uh, and, and uh, you're standing in front of them actually representing that panoramic view that coming together of all of those faces of authority, you're representing that there in the classroom for, for that student. That's what they're feeling. Their felt reality is you there as you organize and manage your classroom. And so now authority in action is oh, what actually happens in the classroom. And as I thought about this I, and, and I considered it and worked on it, I found it to be probably the most difficult section of these four to actually uh, try to pull together in a way that uh, might be helpful. Uh, I ended up just at the place where I often end up. Stories carry more than anything else. Authority in action, after all, <laughs> is the story. It's, it's exactly what happens there. And incidentally, in teaching, there is nothing like the freight that is carried by a story. Just nothing like it. The more you can add in, the more you can uh, bring to bear on the students, the more stories you can tell, um, uh, I, the richer your teaching experience will be. And so I'm going to do that primarily this morning, end up with a, a, a few um, diagrams or so that might be helpful, I hope. Uh, so here goes. We'll see how things go. I begin with Jesus, uh, the master teacher, the example. And you'll recognize it here immediately from Mark chapter 4. It's uh, the, the, the story of Jesus and the storm that comes up. I'm just always astounded from uh, about a number of aspects of this story. First of all, him sleeping in the ship. <laughs> Authority in action, one of the pieces is to know how to rest. Uh, honestly, it, it, it really is true to actually go to bed and sleep. <laughs> Trust it to the Lord and go on. Now, those are easy words, I know. What do you do with that night? When it's, it's like, wow, I, man, I, I can't get to sleep. Well, Brother John Martin told me years ago, he said, well, if you can't sleep, there's one of two reasons. Either the devil has you awake, um, and you, uh, now how's he said, either God has you awake for a reason, or if the devil has you awake, we'll get up and pray. You'll get to sleep immediately. 
Uh, you know, understand if the devil has you awake, we'll pray a while and see what's what happens. He'll, he'll let you go back to sleep real fast. He doesn't like anybody on their knees. <clears throat> I happen to be sort of geared that way. If I can't sleep, well, there's a book to read. There's a Bible to study. There's a little praying to be done. Or so. I, I can't stand just lying in bed and <laughs> coasting around. But anyway, I'm amazed Jesus could sleep. In the middle. He just had a very, very hard day, crawls into the boat, lies down and sleeps. A storm comes up, and you know the story uh, uh, as well or better than I do. And the disciples, all in a worried state, and they get him awake and say, don't you care that we perish? And uh, Jesus stands up and looks around, shakes his head. I don't know how he got awake, if he rubbed his eyes or what he did. But he stood up and said, calm down, peace be still. Peace. And what he did, the storm ended. There was a great calm, it says. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, why are ye so fearful? Great question. It's a great question to ask yourself in the middle of a crisis. Sheila isn't here again to defend herself, but a very interesting piece of us when we first got married um, <laughs> we were in a store and uh, shopping somewhere, and, and she needed to use the lavatory. And she said, uh, Melvin, honey, would you please go over and ask that lady over there uh, where the lavatory is? I said, well, why don't you ask her? Oh, I, 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 I. Now, those of you who know Sheila, she's very, uh, I don't push her around. I, I promise you that, you know, as far as that's concerned. But, uh, you know, I'm as amazed I said, now, 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 honey, I have a question for you. What is the worst thing that could happen? I mean, the very worst thing. If you actually walked over there and asked, I think it was a man, actually. If you asked that man where there is a lavatory, what is the worst thing that could happen? You know, like maybe him cuss you out or something for asking God. That, I mean, I don't know what the worst thing. Well, anyway, my point is, why are you so fearful? So, just go ask. She did. <laughs> But it's the right question to ask. I have asked myself, why am I so afraid? You think I might be afraid this morning? I'm a tad bit. <laughs> but it is a great question. Why would I be afraid? Even in public speaking, I always tell students this. I can tell you there's no problem with your capacity to speak and communicate. I know you. I, I've seen you at work. I've seen you in the study room and other places. And wow, you can jabber along on those subjects. That you pray tell what happens when you stand up in front of a group of people. Why does that all of a sudden shut down? It's fear. It's called stage fright. But it's fear. Why are you so fearful? Jesus asked. It's the right question. I would suggest that question to you uh, next year when you get into the classroom and it starts to rise. Things are not going well and it seems like it's flying apart. You want to stop and ask the question, why am I so fearful? We're not going to answer it right now, but a lot of times our fears are not well-founded. Look at verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Of course, another question 
that he raised there is, how is it that ye have no faith? Fearful and faith. Uh, quite a combination. We'll come back to that here in just a few moments. But great story from Jesus. In fact, in Mark, you just read down through there. And it's one time after another, uh, Jesus walks into situations and he clearly takes command. I realize he was the son of God. He is our example. And uh, we do follow in his, in his steps. And may God give us the grace to at least do a little bit the way he does. So a gallery of teachers in action. Told you I went to public schools. And so, <clears throat> uh, and this would have been during the 1960s and early 70s. So it's right in the heyday of Vietnam War. It's right in the heyday of you know, the rebellious 60s and the, the, the hippie movement. Um, so I'm a high school senior. I graduated in 1973. So it's just right, right straight through that era. And some of you can relate to that. Um, uh, reasonably well. So actually the gallery of teachers, I I have quite an array to pick from (laughs) because I had a lot of teachers uh, in a lot of different situations. So um, uh, I've tried to let that experience enrich me. I'll begin with Mr. Harry Foreman. And what I've done here is given a characteristic for each one of these. Uh, Harry Foreman or Mr. Foreman was the elementary teacher uh, at at the elementary school that I went to. It's a principal, I'm sorry. He taught my dad. My dad died three or four years ago, 91 years old. So uh, you can see this man was in the saddle a long time. Uh, and and uh, I think 46 years, if I remember right, something like that. Uh, they're pretty well known in the Cheesetown, Edenville area. For those of you who know something about the fellowship churches there in Edenville, that's, uh, that's the area. Wrote a book, uh, local history there. Uh, just deeply, deeply respected if I didn't learn anything else from him, I learned how to play ball. Uh, he had been a minor league pitch, a pitcher for a period of time. And so when he came to uh, Portico, he, <laughs> we didn't play softball. We play hardball uh, uh, there in, in elementary school. And he came out and he played with us. Uh, even as an old man. So he was an old man when I, when I was in school. But he still came out and he would, uh, he would pitch to us. And he'd say, here it comes right at your belt could still see that. He also knew his history really well, and I probably uh, have imbibed some of my love of history, at least uh, from uh, Mr. Foreman. Uh, he had the deepest respect of all because of his age and experience. I know, first-year teachers, you can't mimic that. And not all of us have gray hair, but I have been amazed at how much trouble gray hair has gotten me out of on occasion. <laughs> There is one advantage to gray hair, by the way. Uh, so, uh, but age and experience. Okay, uh, guaranteed you, it takes time to win that, but uh, Mr. Harry Foreman had it. I can't spend too much time on each one of these, uh, so I just kind of move through them fairly rapidly. Mr. Ed Sponseller, seventh grade, English teacher. Uh, strapping, handsome man. Every girl in the school probably overstated here, but had a had a, a crush on Mr. Sponseller. Uh, he just did, you know, he was one of the, he had presence, you know, up to six two or something like that. Uh, darkly handsome, he had, he, he had what it took, you know, in that respect. And uh, I, I never forget the day I'm sitting there. Uh, you can see that I'm just as squirt as it is. Well, I went to school when I was five years old, so I was really a squirt. There's this little guy sitting in there, and, and uh, 
uh, for one, some reason, one day I did not have my assignment with me. I had it done, but I didn't have it with me. I don't, I don't remember the details, and I remember him coming around to me, and he said, Melvin, what do you have for so-and-so? And I said, I can't find my paper. And I'm supposed to believe that, I guess. I said, yeah. Okay. Then you went on. <laughs> Mr. Sponseller had what we call personal charisma. You couldn't help but like him. I, I, he just was the kind of person you were going to like whether you liked it or not. <laughs> it just was that way. I don't know how to unpack all of that. I really don't. I have no idea. Uh, it's not like I, you, you can touch somebody on the shoulder and now uh, they have personal charisma. But he had it. Uh, he was a likable person. If you want to work on this one, uh, the way to work on it is to have a really, really close friend who is also a very honest person. And if you can ask that person, what is it about me that causes people to, and then fill in the blank, whatever it may be that you find, the re- and see if you can't get a positive response there. I, there. There's no easy fixes here, don't misunderstand me, but it is, it's a valuable characteristic to have uh, in the classroom, that's for sure. Mr. Sponseller had it. He went on to become the superintendent of schools there in Chambersburg uh, uh, years later and died of cancer here just a couple of years ago. A very, very fine young man. We all respected him all the way through. Uh, Miss Smith. Miss Smith was a young teacher, not a Mr. Harry Foreman. She was my eighth grade, I'm sorry, my ninth grade English teacher. I won't talk about, Mr. Sponseller was eighth, uh, seventh grade, eighth grade. I had a lady who should have stopped teaching. She was too old. I, I didn't learn much that year. When I got Miss Smith, she was a young lady, couldn't have been out of college more than two or three years, uh, something like that. And I want to tell you one thing. I all of a sudden was sweating. Now, I'm not that bright, but I did okay in school. And, and, and I, I left on that I didn't care. But if I got bad grades, I didn't like it. Very hot. And I all of a sudden realized that I got in Miss Smith's ninth grade grammar class that I had some scrambling to do. <laughs> I mean, she started to throw it at us fast and heavy, and I'm like, what in the world is she talking about? <laughs> I don't get it. And of course, I was too shy to raise my hand and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I just scrambled to get caught up, you know. She was a young teacher, but she was good. I learned a lot of English in ninth grade. She had focused organization. Focused organ, not just, you know, there's organization just for organization's sake. Okay. I had a teacher, won't tell you who he was, but uh, the, this, this uh, guy, he was as particular as anybody you ever in your life wanted to see. Uh, uh, more particular than, I, I think, probably anybody in this room. And, and uh, <laughs> sorry, I can't help but tell this story. I wasn't planning to, but uh, I will. His desk was always well organized. Mine was a little bit the other way, okay? Um, and and, and uh, one evening I'm going to, ch- the school was right beside the church, so we're going to church, there's, there's Bible study there, and I have to lead singing, and I, short off, I don't have a pitch pipe. But I knew, oh, I said, I know where there's a pitch pipe. <laughs> 
you know, the organized man knows where the pitch pipe is. All right, so I said, I'll just get it. So I go into his classroom and open his drawer, and there it is, sure enough, where it always is. And I get the thing out, and I say to Melvin, Melvin, don't forget to put it back. Okay, so and I go over, and, and I leave singing, and church is over, and that church is over, and I come back, and I, and I, aha, I remembered. I put it back in, and I go, oh. come back the next morning. <clears throat> Organized teacher. Five minutes, he comes over to my side. He said, hmm, somebody had my pitch pipe. And I'm like, somebody had your pitch pipe? (laughs) So how do you know that somebody had your pitch pipe? Because I knew I put it in there. He said, I always put my pitch pipe in that box with the key of C at 12 (laughs) o'clock. And I'm like, Lord, help us. I said, all right, I'm the guilty one, but... (laughs) My point here, and I, listen, the man was so organized that, that, that I was blessed and I wanted to get some of that rubbed off on me. I, but see, that level of organization, I'm not quite sure if that, I, that's not what I mean by focused organization. It's okay in its place. I'm not here to put it down. But what I mean by focused organization is what really counts. What really makes the difference. And Miss Smith knew how to do it. She knew where to put the papers that she wanted to use for that day. She did not seem to be all flustered about something that wasn't quite perfectly in place. She didn't seem to be flustered by that, but when she needed something, she had it. And the papers just came at us fast and furious throughout the classroom. And she kept us going. I learned English. Focused organization. Authority in action. Okay. Mr. Zollinger. Mr. Zollinger was my eighth grade math teacher. I'm not a great mathematician, but the, the mathematics that I understand and know today and much of the, many of the habits, remember the habits? Many of the habits of, of mathematics I learned from Mr. Zollinger. Mr. Zollinger was probably in his 50s when I had him as a teacher. And uh, he, <laughs> when you walked in the, in the door, he didn't expect you to, to fool around. You were supposed to walk in the door. You were not only supposed to be in your seat when the bell rang, but you were to have the, your, your book open and your assignment out and on your desk and your pencil sharpened. No going to the pencil sharpener. Uh, you, and, and whatever you needed was to be there, open and ready to go when the bell rang. Sure, that's just public schools, 1960s. Now, this would have been 1970, I suppose. Uh, when, uh, and, and Mr. Zollinger, boy, we started in on math. He walked in when that bell rang, and he started right in on things. And, and you, you did math right up until the bell rang to, to end the class. And you did not do anything else. I don't remember him ever getting rough with anybody, but he was well known to be a person who put up with no flack. And we all knew it. We learned math. First of all, a work atmosphere. When the students are working, they're not getting into trouble. When the students are not working, you don't know what they're going to be doing. Mr. Zolliger's class was no space. The only time there was any space, and this was fascinating, 
And the only time there was any space is if there was some real problems in the school. This was a junior high school of about 1,000 students that I had him in. And if there was a problem somewhere else in a classroom, they would page him. Mr. Zollinger, please come to room 109. Mr. Zollinger, please come to room 109. And when he got that call, he would just quietly say, I expect you to be working when, you come, when I come back. And he'd leave. But we knew what he was leaving for. There was some kind of an issue or problem in room 109 that the teacher could not handle, but they knew that Mr. Zollinger could. And he would go in there, and he, 10 minutes later, he'd come back. I'd never say a word. I'd never, never tell us anything about what was happening. Made no difference. We were right back. We, and we had better be working. <laughs> he had a reputation for work and for nip it in the bud. Ladies and gentlemen, my dear fellow teachers, do not let persistent, pro- persistent problems go on and on and on and on. Do the next thing. Address them. <laughs> it might be imperfect, but don't, problems do not go away automatically. Well, now and then they do, but very seldom. Okay, nip it in the bud. It is far easier to nip a problem in the bud than it is to deal it when it's in full bloom. I can assure you, and Mr. Zollinger was good at that. <clears throat> Mr. Mimi is a negative uh, uh, attitude, a, a negative example here. I, I want to be fair here. Mr. Mimi was an older teacher too. He was a good teacher actually. I had him for algebra too. Uh, when I was, uh, oh, I forget which grade it was in, but I had, I had uh, Mr. Memmi, and it was the year I had him was the year in Chambersburg, at least, that they made the role that you could no longer paddle a youngster in school. Okay. <laughs> First day of school, Mr. Memmi broke every rule of I, that I've ever taught since that. He, he walked up to the front of the classroom, he put his knuckles down on, the, on, the, on his desk, he glared over the top of his glasses. I, he didn't say hello, he, didn't say, he, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I suppose you know what the new rule is, right? Which was, oh, I wasn't quite sure what he was talking about, we, we all kind of, well, yeah. So I just want to tell you something. You misbehave in this classroom, I'll kick you straight out that door, you won't come back. Now we'll have class. I'm like, whoa. I didn't have a drop of trouble with Mr. Mimi. I really didn't. I'll never forget, though, midway through the year, Drew Messner, bless her heart, uh, she was a cheerleader and she was kind of a favorite in the school and all that. But Mr. Memmi, I'll give him one thing. Boy, he didn't have favorites. Don't you know he got around to her one day when, uh, asking, uh, asking for answers. And he said, Drew, what do you have for so-and-so? And then she gave some answer. And he said, bring your paper up here. So she came up there and it was blank. There wasn't a thing on it. And he dressed her down at least for 10 minutes there in front of her. I mean, just scolded her and said, Miss, Miss Messer, I don't care who your dad, her dad was a radio announcer there in, the, in Chambersburg. I don't care who your dad is. I don't care who you are. Don't you ever lie to me. Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> you know, we're all back there shaking. It's like. <laughs> That's one way to be. He was an authoritarian. And clearly, you can tell I feel a little negative about it. Okay? He had control in his classroom. I could tell you he did. And I did learn algebra there. And I didn't have one bit of trouble with Mr. Mimi. 
I wasn't a rebel. I can't say I was an angel, but you know, I wasn't a big problem in school that I know of. <laughs> uh, and, and so you know, Mr. Mimi and I got along all right, but that's the way he ran his classroom. It is a way, but at the end of the day, I'm not quite sure what all's gained. Mr. Young. <clears throat> Mr. Young was an older man. Uh, Mr. Young, <laughs> I should tell you this. Another thing for Sheila is she's, her fear, one of her greatest fears is that I will grow old and senile and won't know it. And I'll be up in front of a classroom or a place like that. I'm here right now. And I'll be just blabbering along and people will be like, why don't I that guy sit down? Uh, you know, or, or, just because I'm so naive and don't know what's going on. Well, Mr. Young was kind of there. Actually, I, 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 I got in trouble one time in school. It was in his class. And here's what happened. He'd walk in and he, he could not, it was a biology class. And he had us, first of all, just the, the room arrangement was a problem. He had us all in circles, uh, sitting around lab tables and such like, uh, octagonal, I'm sorry, uh, uh, pentagonal uh, uh, tables. And uh, he would maybe teach five minutes. At the beginning of the classroom, we had a workbook, and then we'd go to work on that workbook. And when we got finished with whatever that workbook was, then we could do whatever we jolly well pleased. And that's exactly what people did. They said he was a little bit of an uh, alcoholic, and I suppose he was. I, I couldn't tell that for sure. But they, uh, anyway, there was a lab in the back of the classroom, mind you. And uh, it wasn't his lab. It was another lab. It had all kinds of different things there, chemicals, and other teachers used that same classroom, obviously. But the, but the piece in there that was really fat, was a, was a, there was a fish tank in there uh, that had a little bubbler in it and all that, you know. And it was Mrs. Groves, uh, uh, another teacher. Well, uh, when I went to school, I could say this with integrity. If I got done with my work, I grabbed the next book. I hated to take things home, and so I would work like mad to get done whatever I could. So I'd take books along to Mr. Young's class and so forth and so on. Uh, well, one day, don't you know, I guess I thought I had everything all done. What normally happened in that classroom of 30 boys and three girls, well, you, uh, these boys would get up and walk back around through that, that lab afterwards and sort of do this and that and the other thing. And I can say with integrity that most of the time I was right there busy trying to get my work done. Well, this one day I decided, well, I said, well, I might as well go back here and see what's going on. So I went back there, mind you, and uh, but what they would do is they'd walk by that fish tank and they'd put a little bit of alcohol in it and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and all kinds of iodine. I forget what all they put in it. I have no idea to this day why I did this. But don't you know, I grabbed a bottle of Joy soap, dish soap. As I walked by, put a little squirt in that thing. Walked on around there and came back and sat down. After a while, my buddies ribbed me. And I, yeah, there's bubbles coming out over the top of that thing. <laughs> there's bubbles everywhere. <laughs> They're flowing out over the top of the, 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 the fish tank. And I'm your bell, please ring. Mr. Mr. Young, he's as oblivious as can be. He never sees anything. He's just walking around there. <laughs> I mean, that bell rang and I out of there. Well, but I was introduced, first of all, naive. That was Mr. Young's problem was he was a little too old and a little too naive about what was going on, and that was a bad characteristic here. But this introduced me to Mr. Weeks. How did it introduce me to Mr. Weeks? Well, Mr. Weeks was a science chairman, department chair, and uh, he was hot. If there was any 
teacher that had the highest level of respect in the school, it was Mr. Weeks. He was a physics teacher. He was a physics teacher. Uh, he was a little taller than I am, but kind of a small fellow, but just, just cleaned up and just as sharp as a tack. And when he taught, he, uh, he taught off of an index card. He knew exactly what he was talking about and where he was going. Everybody wanted to have Mr. Weeks as a teacher because he, uh, that man knew how to teach. Seventh period, I'm in study hall and I get a pass. If you're in public schools, you know what a pass means. You're going somewhere. <laughs> so I look, Mr. Weeks' room. And my heart just sunk. So I go walking down the hall and I'm thinking, oh my. Now remember, this 1970s, almost everybody in school, boys had hair down to here. I probably could count on these two hands, boys that had hair above their ears. And, but I was one of them, of course. And so I go up there and I knock on Mr. Weeks' door and I think, he wore those half glasses. Remember, he's a sophisticated guy, right? So he's got those uh, those, uh, half-rim things and they're kind of hanging out. He comes, he looks at the pass. He looks at me. He looks at the pass. And he looks at me and he says, so you're the guy. I mean, I wanted to go. Is there a hole anywhere to fall through? <laughs> I mean, of all the teachers in the school that I wanted to stand in front of and say, yes, I'm the guy. And I did. You know what he was expecting to see? Some long-haired hippie, somebody who was kind of a rebel in the classroom. And here's this little short squirt, hair above his ears, uh, da, 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 na- after a while, he said, you know what? You've never been in trouble at this school before, have you? And I said, no. <laughs> well, he said, let me say it this way. You're not in trouble now either, except for a few things. He said, how many things you put in that uh, fish tank anyway? <laughs> I said, well, I put the soap in, but I didn't put anything else in. He said, well, we counted 22 different chemicals, so we're in that, in that fish tank uh, after we analyzed it, and, and uh, uh, he said, it probably wasn't your soap that actually killed him, but it was the most visible. So I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to pay for those fish. And I'm thinking, this is at all. But I didn't ask him. <laughs> I just said, sure, sure, how much? <laughs> Story ended well, as far as that's concerned. But Mr. Weeks had, he was a professional. He was a scholar, and he had dignity. And he carried an authority with him. I don't think I ever heard him raise his voice, ever, that I know of. Uh, it, it just, he commanded respect. I was talking to Joshua here just last evening. I said, what is it about these people? What, why do they seem to have that automatic sense of, look, are you, I'm in charge here. That was Mr. Weeks. Mrs. Smith. I needed to end with two really good ones. And uh, I did. Mrs. Smith, if I were, expl- take a look at Queen Elizabeth when she was about, the second when she was about, uh, I don't know, 60 years old. That's Mrs. Smith. That's what she looked like. Uh, now, in my last two years of school, I, I went to a trade school. And that's why I was with 30 boys and three girls. Okay, and we all went, and if you know anything about the Votech schools uh, in public systems, well, at least here in Pennsylvania at that time, if you didn't like school, that's where you went. So you can expect who sort of got ganged up. And anyway, so here we are in this classroom, 
Uh, and, and Tom Myers, sounds like a Mennonite name, but it wasn't. They, they, he was a boy there from Chambersburg area that I went to school with. Uh, was, was the, every every uh, class has a clown, right? And Tom was the class clown. If there was trouble, he was going to be in the middle of it, uh, just as sure as could be. Tom's sitting over here. I can still see him over here on the right-hand right side. And, and we're in there in Mrs. Smith's room. And she's this lady, shorter than I am, but uh, just, uh, just perfectly put together. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. Tom's over there. This is about the second or third day of school when he's kind of creating a little fracas. She looked over there and she said, Tom. Now, I mean, Tom just wilted. He, he just, he just, his act just fell apart right there. It was like, uh, how could you misbehave for Mrs. Smith or Queen Elizabeth II, pray tell? I, 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 it's impossible. <laughs> I, and, and I, all year long, my mouth was open just watching that lady manage that classroom. I, and she never raised her voice. What did she have? She was poised. She was kind. She was gracious. Uh, and it worked for her. Now, mind you, I have often seen the kindness and the graciousness or something kind of end up, people take advantage of it, but it didn't happen in that classroom. I wish I could remember well enough to remember how she nipped that, because it was sure to come up, you know, that somebody would try her to see what she would do if you did push her uh, over the edge. It, but I don't recall that. But I just remember the, the almost perfect poise that she had in front of a classroom. It was like, wow, how, how, do, you, how do you pick that up? How do, you, how do you learn that? How do you become a teacher like that? Well, I'm not so sure if I know all the answers here, but in a couple of minutes here, I'm going to give you just a few things maybe to help us think about how to go that direction. From first days of school, for those of you who have read it, you would know that they, uh, the writers there of that text uh, generally build their entire text around the idea that in teaching involves uh, three components. Uh, the, the one is uh, classroom management, a second is lesson mastery, and a third is positive expectations. And I, I bought into that model. I like it. It touches on the major issues, that's for sure. One, I don't want to just unpack a whole lot of this. What I do want to say to you, again, is never forget that your authority in the classroom or authority in action is, is not one single issue. It's, it's, a whole, it's a series of things that come together that actually create that sense of who's in charge in the classroom and, and where we're headed with it and so on. And that's why I put these here just to say all three of these need to be taken into to account. Because normally when you think of authority in action, you're thinking classroom management. Oh, well, that, it is true. That's kind of the focal point. But here's the issue. It's not, you can manage things right, but if you've got these other issues, you eventually run into to issues. Positive expectations, just real quickly here. Your self-attitude tends to be projected on others. If you feel positively about yourself, now I'm not into the psychology of this. I'm just saying it's just true. You have to feel decently about who you are and what you're doing. Okay? And I say it this way. Ask much of yourself, then ask of others. Positive, what do you expect from yourself? What are you going to bring? And then ask of the students. Create a can-do environment. Very, very quickly here, I'm going over this, but uh, uh, I can do. We can do this. 
forward movement, one step ahead of the students, leading them in one learning experience after another, in one experiment after another, in one project after We can do this, okay? Uh, create a can-do environment, very, very, very important. Be realistic. I think when I read po- the, about positive expectations in, the, in first days of school, I, all, I say, no, wait a minute here. <laughs> in the real world, it's not quite like you're describing it there. Even though I agree with you, positive expectations are absolutely necessary. There is a realism here. Uh, you, not everything can be done just through positive expectations. Lesson mastery, just a, a couple of quick ones on this. Um, knowledge equals power or authority. Uh, information. Master the lesson. It brings an authority with it. Please hear me right. I know. I've been there. You've got five subjects to teach. You can't get over them all. Uh, you can't, I, I'm, I mean, you can't study and prepare for all of them and so on. Uh, okay, uh, there are ways to deal with that. We're not going to talk about it this morning, but you can. Master content toward the simplicity on the other side of complexity. I'll tell you how I know when I have mastered this subject reasonably for the classroom. If I could put three words on a paper that summarize that lesson, just three words. These three are the three words that I will use. Now listen to me carefully here because some of the experienced teachers in here will know what I'm talking about. So sometimes people look at me or a Chester Weaver or somebody else, a John D. Martin or a Howard Bean, and they see them sort of just do their thing without even hardly using notes and so forth and so on. Oh, yes, they are using notes. They've used notes. They've written notes. I wish I could show you. They tell me they're still down there at Anchor Christian School in the, in the filing cabinet. My original notes for teaching world history, they were copious. Uh, I mean, page after page after page after page. That was because I was still on the, on the far side, I'm sorry, on the near side of complexity. I had all this complexity there. I needed it, and I needed to rely on it much, and I did uh, out of those notes. But I worked hard year after year after year after year so that eventually five pages of those notes could be summarized in three words. Okay, that just would be just the, just the, the, uh, um, uh, the trigger to trigger my mind on that point and then the next point and the next point. That's what I mean by the simplicity on the other side of complexity. When you really know a subject, that's what you're doing. But take heart here. Well, first of all, just know that I would never point a finger at somebody who's got to use copious notes or who doesn't even have them and is just trying to find their way through. God bless you. Been there. I've done that and I know what it feels like. But take heart if you actually work hard at this. If you really do, you keep pulling things together. As the years go by, you find that simplicity on the other side of complexity actually beginning to emerge. Uh, and then that's when you really have fun teaching. At least that's when I do. So I just want to encourage you along that line. You might say, well, but how? And I have three, a couple things here for you. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Just undergirding what I just got done saying a few minutes ago, that knowledge builds on knowledge. And so you, you, you accumulate things over the years in your mind, on your shelf, at other places. To this day, I always, I, I, this, I always read something parallel to what I'm teaching. 
Um, so this summer, my goal was to read the four-part series on Mennonite history. So I, that's, I'm working on that thing. Uh, okay, and I got two of them down. I got two more to go. But what I discovered, some books, you have, they're, they're too complex. I, I'm, I'm not really at a level I can read those yet and, and really do well with them. So you build. Read, study, practice, and I use the word here strategically. Some people think that, that I read a lot. I actually don't. Well, I do. <laughs> but I, I can just tell you the romance stories, it probably will not help you a whole lot. Actually ask yourself, how will this book help me? I'm not talking about the morality now of the romance story versus whatever. I'm just talking about, I'm a teacher. I'm teaching world history. I'm teaching church history. I'm teaching math. How will this book help me? How will it actually add to my base? That's what I mean by strategically. I think what happens, I know a lot of people who read a lot, but I'm not quite sure that they read very strategically. And I like to encourage along that line. Classroom management. When, here's a question to ask yourself. When do I experience the felt reality of being in charge? When do I feel the best? I'll give mine. When I'm prepared. Well, duh. Of course. Uh, but that's, that's first. I notice I use the word there, whole readiness, though. So this is not just having the lesson prepared. It's having the heart prepared. It's having the mind prepared. It's having the body prepared. It's, it's, it's bringing my whole person into that classroom to actually begin the learning process. Second, when I am free of relational stress, and I'm going to talk about that one for just a few minutes, if I may. Here's, and third, when I am inspired and enthused. That's when I'm at my best. And that's when I feel like we're going somewhere in this classroom. I'm pulling the students with me. Get on this train, we're going. <laughs> uh, so, enough said there. Here's a, here's a little diagram for you, authority in action. <clears throat> so you've seen one a little bit like this before, but I go just a little different place with it. So personal organization first. So if you're actually going to pull off a Mr. Weeks thing that I talked about or a, or a Mrs. Smith thing, uh, a personal organization. And that's called preparation. Talked about that enough. Skill set, I mentioned earlier this week. Practice. Skill set, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Again, I insist. There are some people who have been given the gift of teaching, that's true. But they are only good teachers today because they practiced. They worked hard at it. There, is no, there are no shortcuts. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There are none. All of the good teachers that I know, the outstanding teachers, they have, perhaps they were given a better skill set than some, I don't know, from the get-go. But it was practice. It was hard work. Hang in there. Keep going, even when you didn't feel like it. And the third one here, and I'm getting closer to the center, is relationships uh, and peace. I, more than once, I left home for school, and Sheila and I had, had a little bit of a disagreement about this, that, or whatever it may have been, and it felt unresolved. And maybe I even felt as though I had spoken too crudely or rudely or whatever, I just found that the best thing to do as soon as I got to school is grab that phone and call her and apologize and get that relational worry out of my mind. 
Because if that thing just hung over my head, if it just was going to nag me all day, it's going to shut me down all over the place. Relationships. Here's a couple. Of, and, and the word that I would put at the center of this is confidence. If there's, uh, there's probably a better word, but the word that sets the Mrs. Weeks, I'm sorry, the Mrs. Smiths, the Mr. Weeks, the Mr. Zollingers uh, apart, at least in attitude, the felt reality was the confidence that they just brought into the classroom. We can do this. Uh, here's what's to do. Here, uh, here. Oh, you have a problem there. Let me help you. Uh, it's that confidence that is there is what we're actually after. Now, the gallery of relationships, teacher of the Heavenly Father, I'd love to stop there and spend time with it. I don't have time to do that, but I don't neglect this one. I know you've been preached at enough about that. So I won't pre- teacher sibling, don't forget, if you're at home yet, this makes a difference. Uh, a teacher parent, some of these are just very obvious. Teacher principal, teacher colleague, I'd love to talk about that one some more too. Teacher board, uh, teacher church leadership, uh, incidentally, that teacher colleague thing, if that wouldn't, if you have a troubled relationship there, nip it in the bud. Do whatever you've got to do to solve that problem. Because at least my wife was not in school if I was having a little tiff with her. But if I had an ongoing tiff with a fellow teacher, they're right there. That's in your face. I don't tell me it doesn't. I just know that for me, it would, it's devastating. I, 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 it's like, how am I, I get this thing out of my mind here, you know, so that I can get on with things. So these are the kinds of things I'm talking about. Teacher, uh, church community, some of these we've talked about. Teacher, student, obviously. I bring that one up last. And again, I insist that this, the, what you actually bring relationally into the classroom is a composite of these. Uh, okay, and that composite either gives you a clear eye or it clouds your eye. It either gives you a clear mind or it, or it gives you a clouded mind. And so it, it make sure that you're actually dealing with these issues. And I finish here, for lack of time, just with the supreme example again, verses you've seen before. So I won't read through them since we don't have time, but wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And I take you back to the example of Christ. I wish each of us the very best in the year to come. And if I could just take time to pray for you and me yet, and then I'll close. Let's pray. Father, we pause here a moment acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of all. We are mere humans. You have called us out and ask us to stand before many students. You have given us your grace in many ways. And we confess before you that we're weak. We are weak in the flesh. We simply do not have what it takes. We confess that. And therefore, I ask for myself. I ask for my fellow teachers. I ask for principals and board members. I ask for all all across the nation and beyond the Christian schools and even the public schools that are going to open their doors here not many days hence. Dear Lord, I pray that you would raise up many, many teachers of courage and strength and faithfulness uh, to, to speak to the rising generation. Lord, you know about this fatherless generation. I'm asking you to help us to 
to be a part of lifting that curse, to be a part of that group of people who can touch lives, uh, bless children, young adults, folks who are going to move into positions of leadership in years to come, help meets. Oh, we could just go on and on and on. Lord, our hearts are heavy when we start to think this way, but look upon this audience. Lord, please do. Remember each one and fill each person's heart with the Holy Spirit, divine inspiration, divine grace for the task that is ahead. And help us to be faithful till you come. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.